Hello and welcome to Rewrite Your Story, where we discover ways for pain to become a platform to purpose. I'm Chandra Jared, your host, and I'm delighted to have you join me on this journey. I created this podcast to offer tools and tips to help you rewrite your story personally, professionally, spiritually, or relationally. Subscribe now and tune in each week as we revisit the pain of our past, to glean a different perspective, and to live with renewed purpose. Remember, regardless of your circumstances, it's not too late to redeem your past and rewrite your future. So grab pen and paper or your favorite notes app and let's get started. Hello and welcome to another episode of Rewrite Your Story. I'm Chandra, your host, and the title of this episode is When Church Hurts, hashtag Me Too in the Church. Yep, I said it. Hashtag Me Too in the Church. I want to talk about it because that's part of my story as I shared in the first episode of the series When Church Hurts. And I thought the best place to start would be where I can remember um, the biggest impact on my life spiritually was being sexually abused by a pastor. Now, before I get into that episode, I want to just speak to those of you who have graciously told me how this episode or this series, When Church Hurts, has been helpful to you, has impacted you. Um, Thank you. Thank you for the feedback. Thank you for the story. Thank you for your story. Thank you for your resilience um, and even pressing on in Christ with what you have seen or what you've heard or what you've experienced. I will tell you that there is no need to compare your story to my story. I guess that's a way I can say it because your story is your story and it does not have to be at to the severity of my story. It's your story. And if you were abused in the church, it's serious and God sees it and he considers it uh, unjust. You should not have to experience that. And so whether you were sexually abused or whether you were emotionally abused or spiritually abused, I, as someone representing the church, want to say, I'm sorry. I'm sorry for the pain that you suffered. I'm sorry for the pain that I suffered. I'm sorry for how we have misrepresented Jesus Christ and his love for you. I'm sorry that we did not love you well. I'm sorry that we abused you and took advantage of you. I'm sorry that we rejected you and that we overlooked you. I'm sorry that we minimized your pain and that we used scripture out of context to oppress you and to suppress what you really feel. I am truly sorry. I know what that feels like, and I know the impact it has had on my life, uh, and I'm sorry. I'm sorry that we haven't created a platform to listen to you and to hear you, to hear your pain without our own justification, to hear your pain without us explaining ourselves, to really give you a space to say, hey, here's what happened to me, and here's how it affected my life without us coming around with religious rhetoric I don't know what else to call it to make ourselves feel good when the truth is we have not represented Christ. Well, I'm sorry that so many people have been wounded by the church and are being wounded by the church um, that many have decided not to even walk into a church because of the abuse they've suffered emotionally and mentally and spiritually and physically. I'm sorry. I'm sorry that I too experienced that and left the church. I'm sorry that that has to be part of my story, but I know that God is a just God. I truly believe that God is a just God. And I truly believe that vengeance is the Lord and that one day we will all have to give an account for what we've done. I truly believe that those who have emotionally abused you or me or sexually abused us or spiritually abused us, that we will have to give an account for what we've done and what we've said and how we've treated people. I truly believe that one day, whether it's here on earth or in heaven, that God will bring vengeance to those who have mistreated those of us who are part of the body of Christ. And so I want to just pause and pray for you. Um, because this is just a tender place for me. I never expected to get the response that I did, but I'm just so grateful for each of you. I'm so grateful for your voice and I'm so grateful for your life. And I'm so grateful for you taking a stand 
in this season of your life. I sound a little congested because I've got this viral infection, but if you'll just bear with me, I wanted to go ahead and get this podcast uploaded because I want to continue this series. And so let's pray. Father God, I am so sorry. I'm sorry that we as the body of Christ have wounded so many people. And I know that you know it. I know that you're aware of it. I know that you know each person by name. You know each circumstance. And I can't explain why you haven't rescued everyone. I can't explain why you have allowed it. I don't have the answers but I trust you to be an all wise God and an all knowing God. I know that you cannot lie and that one day you will bring vengeance for all the pain that has been caused and all those who have suffered at the hands of Christians, those who have suffered at the hands of believers, whether it's been in the words we speak that have shaped and forms a person's faith or whether it's been sexually abusing a person or whether it's a family member that was abused and taken advantage of, whether it's through financial finances or misappropriation of leadership positions or someone just giving their life and serving in the church and being mistreated and overlooked because we feel entitled or we feel more spiritual or we know more word. God, I'm sorry. And I ask, Lord, that as those listening to this podcast that are still struggling with their faith, even though some may be in church and some may be may not be, Lord, that you would meet them and that you would show yourself mighty in their life, that you, Lord, would heal their heart like only you can, Lord, that you would meet them like only you can, that you would bring clarity like only you can, Lord. I ask that you would give them hope again in you. I ask, Lord, that you would remove the scales from their eyes, Lord, to help them to see truth about their story. Even as we talk through this place of sexual abuse in the church, Lord, as I just lay the foundation on this podcast, I pray that you will bring clarity, Lord, that you would allow them to see into spaces, God, into places, Lord, that they can put the blame in the right place. I pray, Lord, for those that are still carrying the shame and the guilt in their life has been paralyzed because of the abuse that they suffered, that you, Lord, what you would set them free from the pain of their past and that you would allow this pain to become a platform to help others and to strengthen them, God. I pray, Lord, that you would give them hope in this hopeless situation, and that in it, Lord, you would be glorified. I thank you for that. I thank you, Holy Spirit, for you comforting them. I thank you for you meeting them. I thank you for you being present, even through this podcast, that you will let them know that you see them and that you hear them and that you haven't forgotten about them. And so I ask that you would word my mouth, that you would say what you want them to hear, God, and that you would be glorified in it. I thank you for that. And I praise you for it in Jesus name. Amen. As you can tell, this is not an easy one for me. This is so much a part of my story. Uh, When I was 17 years old, I remember working for um, a Christian publishing board. And I remember the, um, I guess it would have been the president, executive director, chairman. I'm not even sure what the correct title is. I remember at the age of 17 being kissed by him while his wife was in the other office. And it just left me paralyzed, just kind of not knowing what to do. And if you're, you know, I don't know if you're like me, but I just kind of brushed it off and put up a wall and kind of set boundaries. And because I didn't know who to tell or what to say, Uh, their family was close to our family. And I didn't want to cause waves and I didn't want anyone to think that it didn't happen. But as I look back now, I see where I created this huge space because I did not feel comfortable and I didn't know what to do with it. And I think that often happens when we find ourselves in these places of abuse. It's the Holy Spirit in us, the truth in us. He kind of lets us know that something is not right. But the reality is we live in a nation that and in a world that when you've been abused, there's not a safe place. I'm I'm just going to say it. Even in the church, there is not a safe place to be able to talk about your abuse. Even today in 2019, if a woman is abused, many times she has to prove that she's been abused. And that's unfortunate because I believe that 
we see this over and over because women are seen as property and women are seen as objects. We're seen as second class citizens to men. Let me say it even in the church. And so when you don't, when, when we're not value, anytime you're not value, you abuse what you don't value. When, 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 when you don't value someone or something, you misuse it, you abuse. That's what abuse is, is abnormal use of something. And that's what happens when people are abused. And that's my story. And so I'm so grateful that I know enough of God's word to be able to dig into it and get hope. But the reality is most believers have not been taught to study the word. Like I have been taught to study the word. Most believers don't have the passion or the desire. They get confused. They get frustrated. And so they're depending on their spiritual leader. They're depending on that pastor. They're depending on that Sunday school teacher to teach them truth without it being through a lens that is tainted with their own sin and excuse and religious rhetoric. They are depending on that. And that was me. I was a young girl raised in the church, had been in a church that was very safe for me. It was very safe. And then um, went to a church as I shared in the first episode and I'd never experienced, I'd never felt the power of the presence of God before. I'd never felt the Holy spirit before. And I walked in a church and I felt the presence, the tangible presence of the Holy spirit. And I hungered for more of that, but I had no idea that I would be abused in that place. And so here now is 17. The first time now I'm in my early twenties, the second time. And when I think of it now, it's just sick that we would take advantage of people because we don't see them as valuable or we're so broken as I was at one point that we just hurt people out of our own brokenness. And and it happens all the time. I know the church is not perfect. So for those of you who are listening, I know the church is not perfect. I'm not perfect. And so if right now you're listening, you're saying, Chandra, you're being so judgmental. You then represent those who will not give us space to talk about the pain we've suffered. And I simply ask you to be able to listen to the impact that we have on people's lives when we judge them, when we condemn them, when we shame them, when we silence them and don't allow them to express the pain that they've suffered in the church. At some point, we've got to ask ourselves, why are we not experiencing the power of God in the church? At some point, we've got to ask, why are people leaving the church so much in in large numbers, we have to ask ourselves, why do people not feel safe who grew up with mothers and fathers in the church? Let's not look at a whole lot of statistics if we don't want to hear the truth of their story. And I would dare to say, based on the number of people that I listen to, that so many of them have been wounded by the church because we have misrepresented the true, authentic love of Christ. We are so quick to want to go and judge them and condemn them and talk about the God of wrath, but we forget that it was mercy and grace that saved us. It was the mercy and it was the grace of God that saved us. And then all of a sudden, when we get enough knowledge about God's word, then we become God and we become judges. Well, in the first episode, I said that one of the biggest shifts that I had to make when I began to look at my abuse that I continued to suffer, I couldn't understand why I was making these people God and God is a jealous God. We know that that he is a jealous God, that he will not give his glory to another. And sometimes when God is jealous, he will cause things to disintegrate. And so I had to learn that pastors are not God. They're not God. Pastors are not God. Is that a position to be respected? Absolutely. But pastors are not God. They're not. And so we have to be able to seek the Lord ourselves and we have to have our own relationship with the Lord. We have to work out our own salvation because if we begin to worship a pastor and they have the final say in everything, we've just made them God. If, If a pastor is the person we filter everything to through, then we've made them God. I remember I remember being a part of a church that you didn't buy a car if your pastor didn't approve it. You didn't buy a house if your pastor didn't approve it. You didn't date anyone if your pastor didn't approve it. You couldn't make a big financial decision. You couldn't make a personal decision if the pastor didn't approve it. Seriously, like I can't hear God. And I'm not I'm not talking about, you know, the Bible says in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. I do believe in counsel. I believe in talking to people. I believe in getting insight and understanding. But when you have your finger on the pulse of everyone in your in in your church, that's idolatry. 
That's a dangerous place to be. That is that is not healthy when a person is so afraid to make a decision for their life because they're afraid of what the pastor will do. Pastors are not God. God is God. And if a pastor is doing their job well, if a pastor is shepherding the sheep well, if a pastor is feeding the sheep and teaching the sheep, the pastor is going to teach the sheep how to hear the shepherd, the true shepherd the one shepherd, Jesus, so that they can make decisions based on the word of God. A pastor is going to teach their sheep how to study the word of God, how to hear the voice of God, how to know when it's truth and when it's not truth. Because that's what God has called pastors to do. And I think we have so many, um, I don't even know what to call it. So many believers who don't know the word of God, who don't have deep relationships with the Lord because they come in to hear a lecture once or twice a week. They never interact with the word on their own, with the exception of hearing it through that lecture, because that's our Western culture. We don't wrestle with scripture. Let's talk about it. Re really? Overall, we don't wrestle with scripture on our own. We hear someone teach. Then we go home. We live our life and we come back and we let them pour into us again. Pastors are not God. We need to dig into the text and we need to search the scriptures ourselves, and we need to know. And I didn't do that. I didn't. I was afraid of authority because of how I was raised. I felt like those in authority always were right. I didn't think anyone would listen to me or believe me. I didn't have a voice. I didn't know how to use the voice I had. And so here it, it started and it started there. And so I had to first accept pastors are not God. I had to realize that people are not God. And so my fear of being judged by people, if they knew my story, kept me paralyzed as well. So first I'm under the hand of a pastor and now I fear people and how they're going to judge me. And so all of these things layered, they, they began to keep me in bondage. And then I had to realize that hurt people hurt people. And I'm the biggest one, you know, when I was wrestling and suffering and trying to figure it out for 20 years while I was going through pain, I was causing pain. I did. I was going through pain because here I had these secrets. I had this pain that I had suffered while at the same time I was causing pain because that other part of me, you know, there's a me that was the victim. But then there was the me that wanted to get revenge and I wanted to get back at men for the abuse they had caused me. And so I was in pain. I was causing pain, hurt people, hurt people. And I couldn't put that to words. I didn't know that was what I was doing. I didn't even know how angry I was until I started going through healing. I didn't know the impact that being sexually abused by a pastor, being kissed by this man had had on my life until almost 30 years had passed. I, I had no idea because I was functioning in life and there was no reason for me to put it together, which is what I love about doing this podcast is I want to help people connect the dots to see in this season of my life or at this point in my life, this happened to me and this changed me. And now I can see these behaviors and how they played out. And so after being kissed by a guy, a husband having an affair and then being sexually abused by a pastor, I was on this vengeance to get back at men. Now, if you would ask me that at that time, I wouldn't have told you that. I wouldn't have told you yes, because I didn't realize that my anger was doing that. I, but at the same time, I had this big hole in my heart where I wanted to be loved. It, it's just so hard to explain. I wanted to be loved, but I was afraid to be loved because I was afraid I'd be hurt again. And so I was going to hurt you before you hurt me because I had been hurt so many times. And it creates this vicious cycle of just living, limping, and in pain. And by 2006, I was tired. I was tired. I was tired of the life I was living. I was tired of the pain I had been suffering. I was tired of crying out to God and not seeing results, not seeing a change. And I, I was just tired and I did not want to deal with it anymore. I'm grateful that in the midst of that, that even though church people had hurt me, I didn't give up on God, that I kept crying out to God because I knew his word. I knew the promises he had made in his word. I had tried to get revenge at 19, 20 years old. And um, I knew that that wasn't up to me, that vengeance was the Lord's. I knew that God would keep his word. I just 
I know it. I, I know that God will keep his word. And so I would find a way to go back to God's word and search the scriptures and find a story that would show me that God is a God of justice. And that's what I want to just briefly talk about. I'm not going to get into all of it on this podcast because one, we're already at 20 minutes. And um, two, I want to be able to take my time because for some of you, you've never processed your pain. For some of you, you've never shared it with anyone. For some of you listening to this podcast is the first step to your healing. And I don't want to rush through it and you miss this encounter that God has for you. And so I'm just going to lay the foundation of it and I'm going to do the next uh, part to this. And so I want to start with um, just a phrase that I used years ago when I was preaching at a pastoral anniversary. And I'll admit I was very broken. Then I was hurt because I had been damaged by yet another pastor. And I titled the message when pastors pray on people, when pastors pray P R E Y on people to pray. What does it mean to pray P R E Y? It means to hunt and kill for food to pray. A wild animal preys on their meal. That's what they're doing. They're looking at them. They're studying them. They're preparing um, to hunt and kill. It's one that is helpless or unable to resist attack. Helpless and unable to resist attack. So think about it. You know, when we give our life to Christ, we are innocent. We are helpless. We are surrendered to him. And we're trusting those in leadership. We, we many times cannot resist attack first. We don't even see it coming. I know I didn't see it coming. And then when it came, I didn't even know how to respond. Like who's talking about this, which is why I hashtagged it. Me too in the church. We've heard stories of the Catholic church. We've heard a few stories of the Baptist church, but the reality is it's happening in churches all across America. And I probably can say all across the world. I just don't have the stories and the data to prove it, but we are hearing the stories over and over of people being preyed on being watched to be they're being seized and they're being devoured. And so when I think of kill, you know, um, I think of John 10, 10, um, to kill, steal and destroy. I think of killing us emotionally, spiritually, or sexually. I think of death killing much like in the garden, Adam and Eve didn't die right away, but they died. They were separated. And when you're preyed on and someone hunts you down to kill you, that as a result of what happened to you, there's a part of you that died emotionally. There's a part of you that died spiritually. There's a part of you that died uh, physically because in that moment that you were taken advantage of that moment, you were abused, abused, a part of you died. You changed never to be the same person again. And it's sad, but it happens because I was stuck to the pain of my past because of what had happened to me. I was preyed on and didn't even realize I was preyed on until someone told me. So I want to start with David and Bathsheba because I love the word of God and I love this story. I love God's response to this because this to me shows um, God's justice in this situation. And I want to just read a few verses from second Samuel chapter 11. I just, again, I'm just going to read the first five verses and talk through it. And then next week I'll continue this second Samuel chapter 11. The ESV says in the spring of the year, the time when Kings go out to battle, David sent Joab and his servants with him and all Israel. And they ravaged the Ammonites and besieged Rabbah. But David remained at Jerusalem. It happened late one afternoon when David arose from his couch and was walking on the roof of the king's house that he saw from the roof a woman bathing and the woman was very beautiful. And David sent and inquired about the woman. And one said, is not this Bathsheba, the daughter of Eliam, the wife of Uriah, the Hittite? So David sent messengers and took her. And she came to him and he lay with her. Now she had been purifying herself from her uncleanness. Then she returned to her house and the woman conceived. And she sent and told David, I am pregnant. 
Now, there is so much in this alone. And if you have spent any time in church, you're very familiar with the story of David and Bathsheba. Uh, One translation says he raped her. Um, He took advantage of her, which he did. And um, I want to talk through the process, just the beginning process, so that as you prepare to listen next week, I'm praying that the Holy Spirit will begin to show you the process of what happens when church hurts and people are abused, especially sexually abused. Um, There's this process that I believe happens um, when anyone is sexually abused, but specifically what happened with me and what we see here with David. First, when we talk about sexual abuse, whether it's the Me Too movement, we've heard it over and over now for this generation, and we've seen it and experienced it for some of us, it's typically a person in position, in a position of power. David was a king. He was an influential leader. Um, He was in power, just like the pastor that abused me was in power. And so this person who is in power now is praying, P-R-E-Y, on who their next subject will be. You know, the reality is um, many times, often, more often than not, uh, I was not the first victim. You were probably not the first victim. At some point, this process started. And once they finish with one person, they're now looking for the next person. And so here was David in this position of power, first thing. And then the second he begins to pray on her. So when others were out to battle, which is where he should have been, he's at home. He stays in Jerusalem, the Bible says. And it says in verse two, it happened in this particular translation late one afternoon. He sees her bathing. Now, she had to have lived there for some time. She and Uriah. I mean, Uriah was like his right hand man. It's not like she hadn't bathed before. But for whatever reason, this time it says he noticed her bathing. He had a big army. I'll give it to him. He asked who she was. He inquired about who she was. So maybe he didn't know who she was, or maybe he hadn't expressed interest in her at this time, but he asked who she was and inquired and was told who she was and was clearly told that she was the wife of Uriah. And I believe that when those who are in power and position are preying on us, They're looking on us. They know the story. They know our story. They know what they're doing. They know the boundaries they're about to cross, but they choose to do it anyway. And so here David was, he knew that she was the wife of Uriah, but did he care about that? No, what he cared about was what he wanted. And so what is the next thing he does? He uses his power to gain access to her. He uses power, his influence, his ability And that shows up many ways. It shows up by treating you to dinner. It shows up by paying a bill. It shows up by making sure your children are cared for. It shows up by giving you a position in the church to move you closer to that leader. It shows up um, by allowing you to teach Sunday school. It shows up by giving you a pass, you know, for where somebody else might be disciplined. It shows up in so many ways. I'm sure if you think about it, you will see some of the exceptions that were made to allow that person access to you because I can see it with my life and how it showed up. And so David sent messengers and took her. So he just overrides the fact that she's married, has her come to him and then gets what he wants her to sleep with him. And, and that was the thing, you know, when I first went to this church, I thought that the pastor was caring for me out of a good place. And, you know, I shared in the previous episode that when I was in Michigan, I had graduated, I was working for Chrysler. He came there on a business for a funeral, took us out to dinner. And I say us, me and my son took us out to dinner. Um, My son was very, very young, probably two or three, probably doesn't even remember. He goes back to Tennessee. I don't think anything about it. Uh, come back to Nashville, come back to the Tennessee area. And again, just making sure that I have everything I need, that I'm involved with the church. Never once thought that things would shift. And I remember that the shift came when I was being counseled for my divorce. And so we had been in this battle somewhat 
two and a half, almost three years going back and forth with our attorneys. And, you know, at this point, you know, I'm like, I don't know what to do, just trying to figure it out. And I remember going to meet with him and in an attempt, what I thought was him comforting me because it was very emotional for me, his counseling moved to touching me. And I I didn't know what to do. I didn't know what to do when he started moving his hand up my legs and now he's fondling me and I'm in shock. Like I am in complete shock. Think about it. I'm maybe 23, 24 years old. Had no idea. I was not prepared. Didn't know how to respond. Nobody had ever taught me about that. Didn't know any of that. I was so naive. I mean, I'm, you know, even as I'm talking right now, I was so naive And so I can only imagine what Bathsheba felt like with this being the king, King David, wanting to spend time with me. He's spending time with me. And then she goes home and she's pregnant. And I I thank God I didn't get pregnant. I thank God I didn't get pregnant. But here I was messed up. Because this would go on then for almost eight months. Almost eight months, I would try to figure out how to deal with this. And so like David, and and I'll get into his strategy, uh, David developed a strategy to have Uriah killed. And um, this man develops this strategy where he could see me. And I didn't know how to respond. And so what I would do is I would write him letters asking him not to touch me because remember I told you I didn't know how to use my voice. I was very quiet. I mean, very quiet. Um, People think I'm quiet now. I was very quiet. And I would write letters and ask him not to touch me. And he would send me to the prayer room. That was his way of covering his own sin. That was his way of making me look like I was the one that was wrong. And so it's that position of power. It's that being prayed on, being studied, being watched, and then using their power to get what they want. In the end, they're they're simply trying to get what they want. And it hurts because for me, I begin to ask God, why? Like, why did this happen to me? I remember this being the, the first time that I really, really begin to question God. Like, God, where are you? And why is this happening to me? Why are you letting this happen to me? I don't even know how to stop this. And it would be the beginning of me uh, being in church, but distant from God. Like, can I really trust this God? If he lets this happen to me, what else will happen to me? And then I would try to find a way to hang in there and think, okay, you probably did something, you know, let me help you. This is how we say it. It was probably what you had on Chandra. You know, we tell girls it's how they dress. Um, It's probably the way you looked. You probably made a pass at him. You probably did something to bring it on. This is what we do. Maybe if you wear longer dresses, that would have stopped it. Or maybe you need to take off makeup and jewelry and you need to simplify yourself. These are so many lies that we tell women to excuse a man's behavior and allow him to abuse us. And and I am, you know, I am so grateful for all the organizations that help with sex trafficking and that are helping little girls. But who's helping the adult women? Who's helping the women in the church? Who's helping them when someone says it's your fault? I remember once A lady thought that I was attracted to her husband. I'll never forget. And I remember I used to have this red and white sweater dress that I had gotten from my mom. And I just loved it. It came well below my knees. And, you know, it it, it was just my mom just dressed classy. and, And it was just one of these dresses I loved. But it was fitting. It wasn't tight. But because it was a sweater dress, you can imagine it fit my form. And then I'll tell you, as an engineer, I was quite a bit smaller, more like an eight, um, 10 then. And I remember her taking me in a Sunday school room, Sunday school classroom. 
and telling me that I didn't need to wear that dress anymore because it was a distraction. Can you imagine these are the things that we say that feed into the lies that give men permission to keep abusing us, to keep abusing us. And so it was bad enough that here this man was praying on me like David prayed on on Bathsheba. But, you know, to me, one of the other things that makes it worse is there are other people involved who know what's going on. I'm going to talk about it. And so David had people around him. Remember, he sent and asked who she was. Who did he ask? He had to ask a person. He didn't ask himself. They came back with a report and told him. And then they went and got her and brought her to him so that he could then sleep with her and then took her back home as if this was okay. And it was the same for me. There were men who sat outside this pastor's door, his sons, his son-in-laws, um, other brothers in the church, some of them married, some of them single. They had to have some idea of what was going on in this man's office because I was not the first one. There were other people who told it. And so many times what I've seen when I talk to women is I hear their stories and it breaks my heart that there are people who were a part of it, but who will deny what's going on. It's sad in the church that we will allow a leader to wreak havoc on a person's life, to destroy their identity and not hold them accountable, not even attempt to sit them down or discipline them. I remember this pastor that abused me and I remember this lady calling me and she went to his elders and the bishops and whatever the order was of that organization and She's like, look, there are women this man is abusing, but nobody would touch him. And I don't I don't know why we do that. I don't know why we get permission to allow sin. But then we stand in a pulpit and we tell people they're going to hell if they sin. It drives me crazy. Drives me crazy. That we would allow people knowingly to abuse people. And then we wonder why they don't come in the church. We wonder why they question God. We wonder why I'll tell you why, because I'm trying to understand why the person who represents God would abuse someone like this. I'm trying to understand. It's hard. Hear me for me with all the knowledge I have. If I did not know God personally, and if I have not had not had the encounters I have had with God to know without a doubt that he is real, that he is true and that he loves me, I would have thrown in the towel a long time ago. I would have. And so I get it when people are struggling and when they're trying to understand And they just say, you know what? It's not even worth it because it's happened so much. Well, I want to tell you, if that's you, there is hope because people are not God. I'm going to say it again. People are not God. Pastors are not God. And don't allow people to define your God. Don't allow the brokenness of people to make you think that Jesus is broken because he is not He is not like them. He will love you well and he will take care of you. He will not treat you like they treat you. And one day, vengeance will be his. One day he will judge rightly. One day. And so I want to encourage you as you think about this and as you ponder your life, I'll tell you, give God a chance. Give him another chance. Give him another chance. Don't allow the pain of your past to keep you paralyzed and to keep you in prison to what someone else did to you. I went from victim to victor, but it was 20 years of spinning out of control. 20 years. People wonder why I'm patient with people. People wonder why I don't throw in the towel on people who are wrestling with their faith and trying to navigate with God. People wonder why I am patient with people who know God's word but can't get their footing because God was so patient with me. 
For 20 years, I was in the church spinning out of control. I was in the church living in sin. I was in the church trying to get it together because I had been abused by the church. I had been wounded by the church and I could not separate it. I couldn't do it. I couldn't separate God from his people. I couldn't separate my pain that I had suffered with the pastor from the Jesus that loved me. I couldn't separate it. I couldn't separate it. I didn't know how to walk it out. I didn't know how to stay clinging to Jesus and trust him because I felt like he had allowed these things to happen to me. He's an all powerful God. He's an all knowing God. Why would these things happen to me? And I could not separate it. And so I loved him from a distance. I wasn't all in. I loved him from a distance. I was very guarded with my heart. I was very fractured in my faith and it was quick for me to judge the church. It was quick for me to judge people because I was in so much pain. I didn't trust hardly anyone, especially spiritual leaders. If you were a pastor, if you're a spiritual leader, I didn't trust you because I felt like you all had caused me so much pain. And so where did the change happen? What happened? I got tired. I got so tired of the life I was living. I was so tired. I I don't know what else. I was tired. I was tired of sleeping around. I had become the man that had abused me and that I was just sleeping around preaching the word. I was literally traveling the world, preaching the world, having affairs, committing fornication, just sleeping around. I didn't care about myself. I, 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 I was tired. I was tired of broken relationships. I was tired. I was tired of crying out to God and no change. I was tired. I'd made such a mess and I didn't even realize the damage that I had done, but I was tired and I just cried out and I just said, you know, Lord, if you're real, I did. And you can pray the same prayer. If you are who you say you are, if you are who you are in the Bible, if you are the one true God, I need help. That was what I cried. God, I need help. If you don't do it, it won't be done. I don't have the strength to do it. I cried out. I'm tired. And you can take me out of here. I'm so tired. I don't even want to live anymore. That's how tired I was. I was so tired. I was tired of people. I was tired of the church. I was tired of my life. I was tired. I was tired. And I remember, you know, leaving that church and people contacting me and, um, I didn't want to talk to anybody. What are you going to talk to me about? You know, what's going on. You're a part of it. And I didn't, I just left one day. And if you're still there and you're listening to this, you can leave too. There's no one church that has a monopoly on the faith and you're not going to hell. If you go, go to hell, if you go from one church to another church, if you change churches because you're in an unhealthy church and you go to a, a church that's healthy, please don't let people use the scripture for saying not the assembling of yourselves together and tell you you're going to hell for church hopping. That's, you know, I heard so much of that. You're church hopping because you want to leave an unhealthy church and go to a healthy church. That's a lie from the pit to hell pit of hell you can leave a church and go to a healthy church you need to be under a pastor who submitted to God who is walking out God's word who's living with integrity in his marriage and with his children in his life he may not be perfect but he's going to be doing his best to walk out and live the way Christ has ordained it if you're in a church that you know the pastor's not living that life you know he's not submitted to authority not the authority of God or the authority of his leaders I suggest you leave I said it I suggest you leave because everybody becomes his playground, whether it's spiritually, emotionally, or physically, you need to be under a healthy pastor. (laughs) So I left the church after eight months. I couldn't take it. Didn't know where I was going. Didn't know what I was going to do. I just knew I could not keep doing that. I could not keep letting this man abuse me. I couldn't do it. I was a mess, but I knew I couldn't keep doing that. That that went against everything in me. It was killing me to stay in that. And so I left. And then almost, what, 20 something years later, the Lord spoke to me in three consecutive dreams because remember I said I had come that man, become that man. Even while I started pastoring in 2003, by 2004, 2005, probably 2005, because I stepped down in 2006, I found myself sleeping around. And so here I was preaching on Sunday morning and by Sunday night I was in a bed with a man. And that had been my story for almost 20 years, just 
in and out of relationships in the church. I was in the church. See, we get so set on getting people in the church. We want them in the church. But if your heart is not right, if you if your life is not right, God wants your heart changed, not your body. We focus so much on behavior and the do's and don'ts. I want my heart surrendered to Jesus. I would have loved him with all my heart. And I remember the Lord speaking to me in three consecutive dreams to go to the grave of the man and forgive him. And that I would not take to my grave the demons he wrestled with. And I did. And so I went to that man's grave. Somebody had to show me, but I found that man's grave and I forgave him. And that was the beginning of me moving from victim to victor. I didn't know it. I didn't know it. You know, I could say leaving the church was a start. It probably was a start, but I couldn't get my grounding for 20 years. So um, when I went and forgave him, that was when my life started changing. And, and I remember coming to Virginia and saying, God, it's your way or no way. I'm not living that life anymore. I'm going cold Turkey. I'm just done. I am just done. And so that's what I did. I, I, I just stopped. I, I didn't want to have relationships with men. I didn't want to live the life I had been living. And I began to um, hear about a healing class. I didn't even seek it. It just came to me. The Lord told me I'd brought a reproach upon the ministry. I remember reading about Catherine Coleman walking on Buckrow Beach and people, three people didn't know each other. They both, they all told me about a healing class for sexual and relational wholeness. And I remember going through that class and that class changed my life because it allowed me a place to talk about the pain I had suffered to put blame in the right place. That's what I needed to do. I needed to know what was my part and what part wasn't mine. And I needed to be able to say that these, these men had sinned against me. I needed to be able to say that they had sinned against me. They had hurt me. They had wounded me. They had abused me, sexually abused me, emotionally abused me, spiritually abused me. I needed to be able to name the sin so that I could surrender it to Jesus and receive forgiveness myself for how I had responded to it. So I sought that healing class. And so I want to encourage you. Um, I'm just getting started, as you can tell, and, and I'm not. I'm not going to edit out my emotion. This is real. This is real to me. This is my life. I do encourage you, you know, as you look at rewriting your story, just from what I've shared, just just in the little I've shared with David, how this person is position of, of power. They're in a position of power. If that person is still in your life right now, something has to shift because if they have power over you, they will continue to abuse you. They will. If, if you were preyed on, you know, you've got to ask the Holy Spirit to show you how you were preyed on how they gained access to you. What was their strategy? What was their scheme? Because you've been carrying this shame and this blame for yourself. And it wasn't your fault. Like that wasn't my fault. I don't care if I had been 40 years old, if this man had been preying on me and manipulated me and controlled me, I don't care. He was the one that was wrong. And I can get frustrated with myself for being naive and for not using my voice. But the reality is I was abused. You were abused. If somebody took scriptures and used them out of context to oppress you, to silence you, to shut you down, that's abuse. That's abuse. And that's not God's best. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus speaks truth. Absolutely. He speaks truth. He speaks truth in love. He does. He's going to he's an honest God, but he's not an abusive God. That's that, that that's not who he is. And so as you think about your story and as you revisit your pain, this place of abuse, uh, whether it was emotional or verbal, I want you or, or spiritual. I want you to put blame in the right place as the Holy Spirit shows you how it all panned out. How did you get to that place? Because you didn't start there. You got to that place. How did you get there? And then I want you to take some time to forgive the person. Now, I'll, I'll talk a lot about why and all of that, but I just want you to start with just practicing. I forgive this person for the abuse they did to me.
I forgave the pastor for sexually abusing me. I forgave another pastor for spiritually abusing me. I forgave another pastor for emotionally abusing me. Did I feel the forgiveness right away? I didn't, but I am obedient to God's word because forgiveness is supernatural. My part is to say it and confess it and believe it. I really want to be free from that pain and freedom comes in forgiveness. And so this week, I want you to begin forgiving. Just forgive them for their sins so you can be forgiven for yours. Forgive them out of obedience to God's word. It's not easy. It's hard. I'm telling you, it's hard to forgive people who've hurt you. But be free. Free yourself from them. Free yourself from that time in your life by forgiving them. And then as you forgive them this week, I want you to seek counsel for healing. There, there are healing programs. Um, there are counselors who now, and, and it's sad, but there are counselors now who specialize in church hurt and spiritual abuse. It's the truth because there's so much abuse happening in the church. But I want you to seek counsel for healing. And next week, I'm going to talk about God's response to David. Like what what happened in that story? I want to unpack his strategy a little more and the steps he went through to cover his sin, because people go through many steps. They go to many lengths to cover their sin, to cover their wrong, to cover their abuse. And they do it with a cohort of people around them. And so I had to not deal with the people who were a part of it. I did. I just couldn't because you are allowing him to abuse me and you're not doing anything. And so I had to let some people go out of my life so that I could be free. So we're talking about it. We're talking about this abuse. We're talking about church hurt. I want you to know that you can still love God. You can still worship him. You can still serve him. He is not them. This is not that. He is not them. People are not God. Do not allow people to define your God. Okay. Church hurts. It hurts. People will hurt you but they are not God. He is a good God. He's a good father and he loves you. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of Rewrite Your Story. As you have heard, this one was really, really emotional. Uh, I'm so grateful that I still have emotion and passion around this. I'm grateful that to know that God has healed me and continues to heal me as I share my story. I'm thankful that I still have faith that I still trust him and that I still believe him, that I know his word to be true, that I know he is true, that he is a healer. He's a miracle worker that when you have relationship with him, that it helps you to put in perspective what his role is and who he is in your life and put people in their proper place. I said it. Yep. People need to be put in their proper place because they're not God and don't let them try to be God. And so tune in each week as we continue to talk about pain. Remember, it's not too late to redeem your past. You can still redeem your past. Regardless of your circumstances, you can still redeem your past. You can be uh, middle-aged like me. I'm 55. You can be older like me. It's not too late to redeem your past. May your pain become a platform to live with purpose so that you can then help others to overcome and see things that you didn't see and they can live in victory. Have a wonderful day.